that uh, shed some light on the on the situation. <laughs> I can't I can't help but abuse the metaphor. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, have you heard about Code School? Code School is a terrific way to learn by doing. You actually get to work through exercises on their website and learn how to build code. They have courses on Ruby, Python, .NET, iOS, Git, databases, and of course, Angular. And you can try before you buy, so they have free intro courses to things like Git, Angular, and iOS. So go check them out at CodeSchool.com and start learning by doing. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, there's me. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. Um, everybody else is traveling either to Angular Connect or uh, I know John Papa is actually heading my way. I'm in Atlanta doing Microsoft Ignite. Um, so I'm in my hotel room. I'm on my earbuds microphone, and I hope it sounds okay. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that's Rob Dodson. Hey, how's it going? Going good. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, all right. So uh, my name is Rob Dodson. I'm a developer advocate at the Googles. I work on uh, I work on the Chrome team, and uh, I primarily work on web components. And I also work on a project called Polymer, which is sort of like a, a helper library to to make people more efficient at writing web components. Gotcha. So do you want to give us a quick rundown of what web components are? Because we have components in Angular. We keep hearing, hearing about components when we talk about React. So what are web components? Yeah, so uh, I guess the, the primary difference between uh, components in, in React or Angular or, or maybe Ember um, and, and web components is that web components are based on a set of specs. Um, there's about four different specifications that kind of roll up into this umbrella of, that we call web components. And those are uh, custom elements, shadow DOM, HTML imports, and templates. Uh, of those, the two that are probably the most critical, the, the, the foundation pieces, are custom elements and shadow DOM. Um, custom elements let you define your own HTML tag. And uh, and basically, you know, when uh, when the when the parser is is going through the page and it's you know munching through all the various HTML elements in the document, uh, and it sees one of your tags that you've created, it will create an instance of a, of a class that you've created. Um, uh, so the other cool bit is Shadow DOM, and Shadow DOM lets you create kind of like a you think of it like a, a little scoping bubble around your component. That'll let you um, 
prevent your styles from leaking out and affecting anything else on the page. It'll also prevent, uh, it'll take all the markup that is inside of your component and it will basically encapsulate it. Um, so for instance, if you called query selector and you know you're you're poking around the page using query selector or get element by ID, it would not find things that you had encapsulated inside of your element shadow DOM. So they're nice and they're they're private. And that's good because that prevents someone from accidentally like modifying your DOM when you don't want them to. Um, and so the way that that differs from like an Angular component or a React component is just that it's it's standards based. And so um, the the API that you use to create that component is actually just natively part of the browser. Uh, it looks like John and Ward have joined us. So now that we kind of know what web components are, um, I think what I'd like to know is just how people use them so I can get my head around, okay, where am I going to plug this in on my web application? So there's, I think, probably two main ways that people could think about using web components. Uh, one way would be to build your entire application out of web components. Um, so you could, for instance, uh, start with a very simple component, you know, like like a button or a select element. You know, you're creating all of these like custom widgets, and then you wrap those up into a bigger component, right? Like a like a view for like a whole section of your site, like a maybe a, a login form or something like that. You can keep composing those into bigger and bigger custom elements until you sort of reach a point where you just got a, a my app custom element. It's very similar to the architecture that you see frameworks uh, moving towards today. Like in Angular 2, um, you typically have like a my app component that you're sort of bootstrapping, and then you've got all these other components inside of it. So you could either build your entire app using components uh, and just create, you know, start with small components and create higher order components until you you end up at a, a my app component. Or uh, you could create web components and use them as leaves, like like the leaf at the end of a tree. Um, so, for instance, if uh, if I was working at a really big company, let's say I worked at a company that had like ten thousand employees, and they were like, "Hey, uh, you know, we want you to build a UI library for our company, one unified library that all of our developers will use." Um, it's kind of tricky because you might have developers that are using Angular in their projects. You might have developers that are building, you know, classic PHP, just like static websites. You might have developers that are using React. And so you need to find a way, like a, a common denominator, to build a component that all of those developers could use um, for, for simple widgets. And so that's another good use case for web components, where you could just build, you know, your leaf elements using sort of the, the standard stuff. And then they play nice with people's frameworks and things like that. Okay, so if I build my own element, let's say it's uh, it. It really sounds a lot to me like what components do for you in Angular, where you can essentially create a component that is, um, I don't know. In in the tour of heroes, they I think they have a hero tag you essentially put in, and then Angular goes in and makes that into a bunch of elements that show the image and the the hero's name and things like that. Is that kind of the same thing you're going to get out of some of these custom elements? In yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the it's the exact same idea. Um, the primary difference is that it doesn't require a library or framework it, because it's it's standards based and it's just part of the browser. And so the nice thing is, um, if you only wanted to build that 
that hero list component one time. Uh, you could build it originally as a web component, and then ideally someone could use it in an Angular app or a React app. They could use it standalone. They could use it, you know, however they want, um, because it doesn't require an additional library or anything like that. But if I had if I had that hero list app, let's just stay with that thought for a second. Um, and that thing needed, say, a service to go get the hero list. That doesn't that that doesn't work because there's no notion of injecting services or any of that other kind of stuff, right? Uh, correct. So there's no way to um, there's no dependency injection like Angular has um, or anything like that. It's literally just like a, a standard um, component, in the same way that button or select or uh, you know the audio element um, are just sort of these standard elements. So the way that you can you can give them stuff, you can give them stuff either through attributes, right? So you give them like string values or numbers through attributes, or you could set a property on it. You know, uh, you could pass in something that way. Mm -hmm. or you could call a method on it. So in mm -hmm. theory, you know, you could take that element and you could pass it a service uh, if that's the kind of thing that you were constructing. Um, but I think when you when you describe something that uses a service, I tend to think of those as um, maybe potentially higher order components. Yeah. Um, and that you would, you know, what what's probably most successful for people that are already using Angular would be to build components, web components that are leaf elements. So buttons, drop downs, things like that. And then use higher order components in Angular to then be like, okay, I'm going to pull in the service and I'm going to like, when I, when, you know, when someone clicks on my fancy web component button, then I'm going to like go use my service to, to talk to the back end or something like that. Um, see, that, so see, that makes perfect sense to me. I, 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 making a whole application out of web components would make me feel like I was missing all the other infrastructure that I would want to have to assemble something. But having it for presentation components uh, makes great sense, and and it makes me wonder. Maybe you can speculate on this. Why the efforts into material design haven't resulted in web components? Why they went web component way, uh, as opposed to uh, why they went the Angular two native components way? Uh, we have we have built uh, material design as as web components. The the Polymer team created a uh, web component version. Um. That of course requires the use of Polymer, the little sort of like helper library to 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 make building those components easier. Um, but Polymer can exist inside of a web component, and uh, the idea, at least, is that the outside world does not need to know or care what that web component was built with. And so, in theory, you could then pull in, you know, either a, a vanilla web component or a Polymer component or whatever, and use those in, for instance, an Angular application. Um, so, I think when Material Design originally came out, web components were kind of in their infancy, um, and I think a lot of teams got really excited by the Material Design spec, and folks just started kind of doing their own implementations. Um, and I think what we've been working on now is actually, with, at, at Google at least, consolidating a lot of that work under under one team, under one UX team, who kind of wants to just build like a, a common base set that other every, everybody could rely on. Um, whether that eventually becomes custom elements or not, I'm not quite sure. But you know, in my mind, that would that would make a lot of sense. It might make it easier for people because you don't have to do you know multiple different implementations of the same design spec. No, that 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 sounds right to me. Um, 
I guess the one one other thing that's going on in the angler world, and I wonder how web components plays in this, is um, the efforts to make them super small through tree shaking and all this other stuff. And I don't know enough about web components. Maybe you can tell us about um, what their size and performance characteristics are or what one could expect. Could one expect that that would just be sitting there in your browser or whatever your delivery vehicle is and they're ready to go? I mean, how, how does it all play? Yeah, so the way that uh, it might help to explain how to create a custom element. Um, so uh, to define uh, one of these, these elements, uh, you just write a JavaScript class and um, you there's a, a method on the document called a window.customElements.define element, and you, you pass it that class, and you pass it the tag name that you're registering. So you might say, OK, I'm, I'm creating a thing. The, the actual HTML element is fancy, you know, fancy dash button. That would be like the tag I would use in markup. I'm going to associate it with this JavaScript class that I've created, which is maybe also called fancy button. And that's essentially the entire overhead of the component. It's just that class that you've written. So they can be as small as you want. Um, you know, you could have an element that doesn't even render anything. It could, it could just maybe like do some work. Like, like the audio element is kind of an example of something that doesn't render anything, but it does some work. Uh, or you could have it stamp out a template. Um, so you could have it render some UI. Um, and it's, you know, the nice thing is that by being standards-based, they can be inherently small because they don't have to bring any anything else with them. You know, it's just whatever you know code goes into that one class. Um, so, in theory, right? If you're just writing good, fast JavaScript, then you're going to get like a nice, snappy component. Um, it's a very low-level API, so you know it's not trying to do anything to. Uh, dictate how you write to or read from the DOM. You absolutely can write slow components if you're just writing, you know, inefficient JavaScript. Um, but that's left entirely up to the developer, and that's that's on purpose. It's because they didn't want to be too prescriptive with the standards. They wanted to keep them very low level. Um, so, for instance, if library authors, if the folks that make Angular or React wanted to take advantage of them, they could, and um, there wouldn't be anything, you know, standing in their way or, or dictating how they had to do their components. Well, that's comforting because uh, there's no limit to my ability to make a poorly performing JavaScript component. <laughs> I've got nothing but upside there. Um, you, you've used the word standards-based, the words standards-based several times. I'm curious about that. I'm, I mean, I'm like a total neophyte out here, so I'm just asking dummy questions. But, but. Uh, Whose standards, how pervasive are these standards? What kinds of browsers are supporting these standards? Or, um, or, or is it just something Google dreamed up and decided to call a standard? Yeah, so the actual the history of web components goes way, way, way back to these things called, um, I think they were called HTCs in Internet Explorer. I think it, had a, it went by another name at one point called like X. XBL2, maybe. It's, an, it's, it's a set of ideas that um, the folks that work at, at really like all the browsers had been trying to get off the ground for a really long time. Uh, basically, this notion of can we make HTML extensible um, so developers can create their own stuff. Um, I think five or maybe six at this point, I don't know, maybe five years ago, uh, some folks at Google 
um, proposed uh, sort of like a, a new iteration on, at the time, some of the ideas that I think were part of XBL2. And that those ideas are what became uh, the Web Component Standards. Um, and that is, at this point, Shadow DOM, Custom Elements, HTML Imports, and Template. Uh, each one of those has its own spec. Um, after many years of discussion with the various browser implementer folks, uh, we've now reached consensus on basically all of them with the exception of HTML imports, which is still having a lot of discussion. Uh, but template has shipped everywhere at this point. Um, so you can write a, a template you know, element in HTML, and that will create like a nice little um, uh, uh, scope part of the document where you can put code that will be parsed, but it won't execute. Um, so that's really handy. Uh, custom elements are shipping in Chrome at this point. Uh, custom elements, it went through two iterations. So custom elements v0 is shipping in Chrome at this point. Uh, there's another iteration of the spec called v1, which Chrome will be shipping in 54, which Safari is working on as well. And I believe Mozilla is working on. And Microsoft has said that they would like to work on this. They just haven't gotten around to it yet. Uh, Shadow DOM just recently shipped in Safari 10. And uh, that was Shadow DOM v1 shipped in Safari 10. Shadow DOM v0 was shipping in Chrome. And we are revving up to v1 as well. Um, I can't remember if or when that is shipping, but that's going to be in like a you know one of the next releases of Chrome. Uh, and again, Microsoft is expressed interest in shipping these things in Edge, as has Mozilla. They just haven't you know, had a chance yet, but I know that they are working on it. So at this point, it is everybody is on board, it seems. It seems like everybody is happy with the way the specs have worked out, and they're planning to ship. So it's, I think there was a, a narrative at one point that this was like a Google-only thing um, back in the day. But I think now uh, there's been a lot of rounds of uh, iteration with the various folks involved and um, a lot of discussion on the mailing list and in-person meetings. And I think now everyone's pretty happy with it and everyone's on board. You mentioned Shadow DOM. And, and I, again, my mind races back to when people were uncertain about about this and whether it would be a standard and all that. And there was something called, I thought it was a Google guy standing up and talking about Shady DOM. And as if that was a stepping back from Shadow DOM. Can, can, can you uh, cast some shade on Shady DOM or figure yeah. this out for us? Yeah, that may have been me. Um, so, uh, when Shadow DOM originally came out, uh, we created a polyfill for it. And the, the, the difficult thing is that Shadow DOM provides a lot of stuff. Um, it gives you scoped CSS. So document CSS won't affect your component and your component CSS won't leak out and affect the document. So you're, you're guaranteed that your component will always render as you expect it to, uh, which is a very difficult thing to polyfill accurately. Uh, it also provides markup encapsulation. So if you have a bunch of markup in the Shadow DOM, someone can't accidentally query selector for it and mutate it or anything. Again, difficult to polyfill. So the original Shadow DOM polyfill uh, did a ton of stuff to make all that work. And it was particularly slow on mobile browsers, so mobile Chrome and mobile Safari. Um, Chrome ships Shadow DOM pretty fast. Uh, leaving just mobile Safari being very slow. And for a lot of folks, that just was unacceptable. They were like, you know, we're interested in web components, but we can't use this polyfill because it's too slow. Um, so the team came up with a much more performant shim that they nicknamed Shady Dom 
this was something that the Polymer team created. And it was not as, uh, you know, spec accurate as the Shadow DOM polyfill, but it did basically all the same things that people wanted. Um, and it did it in a much, much faster way, but it had its own sort of particular API that you had to use to, to touch the DOM. Um, this ended up confusing a ton of people and was just really tricky. So we're getting rid of it, basically. And um, we'll be talking about this uh, in October, uh, but the plan is to just just ditch Shady DOM. Um, now that iOS and or now that Safari is shipping Shadow DOM, we don't have to worry about polyfilling it on mobile browsers anymore. Um, so just ditch the Shady DOM thing. Uh, and we have a, a much lighter weight Shadow DOM polyfill that we've been working with that sort of strikes that nice balance between the original polyfill and Shady DOM. So that's what we'll be encouraging folks to use um, probably around October. That uh, shed some light on the on the situation. <laughs> I can't I can't help but abuse the metaphor. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a little curious, um, and I missed a minute a while back, and I don't know if this got asked, but um, you know I did mention that uh, custom elements and what we at least what I've been using components um, to a certain degree for with replacing uh, tags in my applications are sort of the same thing. I mean, why, why would I use web components? Why not just use Angular in the first place? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons why you might want to use custom elements, um, especially for like leaf elements. Uh, one is if you're at a really large organization. So for instance, uh, we've done a lot of work with, uh, with General Electric. And they have, you know, I don't know how many thousands of developers. Um, and they want everyone to use the same UI components. Uh, and so for them, because they have de developers who are using Angular 1, Angular 2, they're using, you know, classic PHP pages, they have folks who are experimenting with React, um, they can't or they don't want to build a version of their UI library for all of those different libraries. Um, so instead, we want to have a common denominator that people can use. So you can write your, you know, your fancy UI widgets and and only do so once. And then anyone using a framework or library uh, can use those UI widgets. Um, just take advantage of them. You know, the same way that you take advantage of all the other HTML tags today. Same way you take advantage of like a, you know, a P tag or a header tag or a, a button element. Um, uh, so that's one of the advantages. Um, and the other advantage is, you know, if if uh, if maybe you don't necessarily want to use a framework or library, there are some folks out there who prefer just to do things uh, without involving a bunch of additional tools or build processes or anything like that. Um, and another area of potential benefit is, you know, the browser makers, once they have all shipped these specs and standards, this is going to be an area for optimization for them. So, you know, as they are tuning the browser and they're making things faster, ideally, um, you know, if you're if you're using standard features, you benefit from those things. Um, so those are those are some of the big areas that I think. But for me, probably the biggest selling point is is that idea of a common denominator. That um, even even you know, it doesn't even have to be at a big organization. Like how many versions of or how many date pickers exist that people have written in different frameworks at this point. Uh, you know, jQuery plugin date pickers, Ember date picker, right? Like all sorts of these different things. It'd be really rad just to have like a few that were high quality that we knew we can rely on. Um, and so I'd like to see that too, like breaking developers out of the silos that they're in a little bit um, so we could share more of our code with each other. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I, I do like the idea of being able to share things outside of Angular. But yeah, um, at the same time, I mean, if if me and all of the other teams that I'm dealing with are just dealing with Angular, you know, I'm kind of like, well, I can just share that code. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious if there are performance reasons maybe for doing it. Are web components way more performant than Angular components? I mean, they have, I would assume, uh, and this is just total assumption, like less overhead involved in like in you know getting set up because there is no like library that they are dealing with. Um, like they don't have a library dependency uh, if you're just writing them vanilla. Um, but like I said before, you could totally write a slow web component. You know, you could write a web component that's uh, you know causing tons of of reflows and stuff like that. It's reading things when it's not supposed to. Um, so that really comes down to the developer and the quality of component that they've built. Uh, I think the main idea, though, is just to not view these things as mutually exclusive, like frameworks and web components. They just can work together. So it might be that you might just find a couple of useful components and you can chuck them into your app. And, you know, there's just benefit from that. Um, you know, I used to use this jQuery library called Select2, I think. It made very fancy, like, drop-down boxes. I used to use a lot of jQuery plugins back in the day. And um, I honestly just see web components as, like, the better iteration of that same idea um, of like, you know, there's a couple of these just handy components. You can just pull them in wherever you need them. That doesn't mean that you have to stop using your framework or anything like that. Um, you just combine the two. I, I'm totally sold on the, on the idea of being able to have a, a what I would think of as a third-party library of visual controls that I could um, consume within my Angular app and not have to try and write those as, in Angular or, or even maintain them or any of that stuff. I'd, I'd rather make that be somebody else's problem and just focus on the the um, business problem I'm trying to solve in my application. So you're singing my song. I, I know that Angular 2, one of their design goals, um, one of the, the design goals, uh, continuing design goals, is to work well with web components and the whole binding framework with, uh, uh, mechanism within uh, Angular 2 is designed to treat web components uh, in in a way that that seems harmonious. So what's the actual experience of uh, wedding Angular 2 and web components? Does it work? Does it not work yet? Are there gotchas? What have you got? So I haven't done uh, tons of work with Angular 2. I've actually been focusing a lot on Angular 1 web component interop. But uh, what I can say is probably the areas where things would be tricky today using Angular 2 um, would be if you were trying to load components using HTML imports. So we haven't really talked about this much, but HTML imports were one of the specs that were proposed. And what it lets you do is create a link tag that points to an HTML file. And that HTML file um, then gets loaded the same way that you, you, know, you can use a system.js to load like a, a JavaScript module. That HTML file gets loaded. That HTML file might contain the definition for a web component. Um, this is what a library like Polymer does, for instance. They, they define all of their components in these, these uh, HTML imports and load them in that way. Um, and this can create you know, a lot of confusion because you have Angular 2, which is using a JavaScript module loader uh, to load its stuff. And then you've got these HTML import things that are loaded with link tags that are just in the document. And so the tricky part there is knowing, you know, when is everything loaded? Like, when can I actually start, like, touching the page? 
I think that that idea uh, goes away if you are not using HTML imports. If instead you just write your your custom elements just using vanilla JavaScript and you use like template strings or you dynamically load in a template or something like that. Um, so that's definitely an option for folks who who want to experiment with using the two together. Uh, just do everything as as an ES module or something like that. Um, the other areas where things could be tricky. Uh, with Angular 1, it was pretty tricky um, you know, binding and passing data into elements sometimes because of the way that Angular's data binding system was set up. And as you mentioned, with Angular 2, this is a lot easier because Angular 2's data binding system you know, is just basically just like setting properties on elements. Um, so, so long as you have defined properties on your custom element, then you should be able to just use Angular 2's system to pass data into them and then use the event bindings in Angular 2 to listen for changes coming out. Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting, which I'm curious about, and, and I'm kind of curious where Angular developers are in this space as well, is uh, people's opinion on how much state components should hold. You know, um, Do they want components to be more like they are in the React land, where they are pretty stateless? Um, or do people prefer the idea of components that are stateful um, and, and stylistically, like which direction are Angular developers headed in? So that's something I'm just not quite sure about. But uh, the more I've, I've been sort of digging into Angular 2 and React, these have been sort of top of mind for me. It's a great question. And I think there isn't one answer to it. Uh, not only is it a question of diversity among developers and what their architectural preferences are, but I think it's also a difference among the kinds of components that they're working with. So something that that, where you, that you've been talking about where a web component sits at the leaf and its, its uh, primary purpose, maybe its entire purpose is presentational, that lends itself to a, a stateless or a near sta nearly stateless approach, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, 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 give yeah. it, you give it what you want to show, uh, but you don't make it responsible for going and getting anything or holding on to anything. Um, just take what I tell you, and I'll tell you when I need you to be different. Um, and that fits the, um, a, a, a kind of component that is in the uh, Angular 2 pantheon, uh, um, but it's not the only kind of component that would be in an Angular 2 app, there'll be others that really are responsible for fetching, for getting state, managing state, and all that other stuff. But, but those don't sound like web component things for me anyway. So it's it, right. it just feels right to me that it, um, that a stateless web component would slide nicely into uh, the larger picture of an Angular 2 app. But again, I'm just talking off the top of my head as I haven't had that experience. It and. It, and and certainly sounds like at the boundary we're in, you know, we're in good shape to be talking to each other. Now, one thing that's kind of curious is, I, again, I don't know enough about the web components, but is there is there an eventing model? Is there a lifecycle model? So I know I can tell you to destroy yourself, or I can know when you're being destroyed, or when you're being created, and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so custom elements provide a, a lifecycle system. Um, when you define your custom element class. Uh, there are a number of callbacks that you can implement. So there's a created callback. For instance, if someone says document create element, um, and they pass in your tag name. Uh, so that'll get triggered, you know, if they create it in JavaScript, or you know, if the parser hits it because it's already in the page. There's a callback for when the element is actually connected to the documents, literally called connected callback. 
So that's when it gets either actually inserted, or again, it'll get called immediately after created callback if it was already on the page. There's a disconnected callback when you when you take it out. Um, there is a, there's one called like adopted callback, which is if you actually take it out of one document and place it into another document, I believe. Uh, and then there's one that's really handy called the attribute changed callback, which will get triggered anytime anyone changes an attribute on the element. Uh, that's really nice because you can synchronize that with uh, like property setters and basically keep your attributes and your properties perfectly in sync back and forth. Uh, so for instance, if, if you were building like a, a stateless or a, a reactive component, uh, that's something that you would, you'd probably leverage pretty heavily to make sure that um, you know, if someone changes an attribute, it triggers the appropriate setter that you know, updates the UI or renders however it needs to. Um, so that's, that's just like a super handy callback because without that, you would have to write mutation observers for all of your attribute changes, and that would be very tedious. Um, as for events, it just uses standard DOM events. So you dispatch a custom event, and anything that can handle custom events can listen to it. Again, they're, they're, the, the APIs themselves are, are purposefully very primitive and very low level. They don't try and add too much. Um, so, so leveraging most of what's already in the DOM, uh, because every framework and library should be able to fundamentally uh, work with and listen to the DOM at, at, at some level. So I believe in Angular 2, that should just work. Like it should be able to just hear the custom events coming out of the element and then use that in its um, in its event bindings to trigger uh, the the appropriate methods and the the controllers or the component. Yeah, no, it do, it does sound that way, and I'm sure the the RX folks are all over thinking about how to wrap it in such a way that that we're using observables instead of uh, instead of callbacks. Uh, I know I would think that way. One thing that I'm curious about is, is there a good way to test web components? You know, I'm pulling this stuff into my application, and I'd like to know that it's doing the right thing. Yeah, um, so when I've done this, um, when I was using Angular 1, I just used Protractor. Um, you know, it's important to make sure that you are testing the components in the actual browser. This is primarily because uh, Phantom.js is based on a very old version of WebKit that we can't even really polyfill effectively for web components. So we really, really, really want to make sure when you're when you're testing, you're actually testing in a real browser. So Protractor is good for that because it'll actually pop up in a you know Chrome window or a Firefox window or something and run your test that way. Um, and then you know beyond that, uh, I've just written standard like Mocha tests for them. You know I'll um, I'll, I'll you know, pass in an attribute, or I will set some property, and then try and query the DOM to see, you know, did it render as I expected it to? Um, I'm totally not like a unit testing expert, so uh, I'm sure there are Angular developers who have way better approaches to unit testing. Um, but I believe fundamentally, uh, it should work with the test tools or most of the test tools that you're already using in Angular, um, and should I hopefully be able to treat it just like any other sort of Angular component. Yeah, the other question I have, and this is totally different, but uh, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned that you can just write your web components directly in JavaScript. So what does Polymer give you that you don't just get out of the box in your browser that implements web components? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so the web component specs are 
pretty low level. Um, and so uh, what Polymer tries to do is find the places where there are pain points and sort of smooth those out. So a good example is um, I mentioned before that attribute change callback. So you can listen for someone changing an attribute, and then you can make sure to like synchronize that to a property. Uh, if you have an element that has like 10 potential attributes or even five, you know, that can become a fair bit of code in your um, in your your class, just keeping all of those things in sync. And um, so rather than having to write all those handlers in your attribute change callback and then write all those setters for your properties, um, Polymer just like sugars that over for you and you can basically set it up so, you know, an attribute property will just stay in sync. Um, so that's kind of an example of something where to give developers maximum flexibility and control, the specs did not offer an opinion here. And so Polymer created an abstraction to make this easier on folks. If you were doing you know, everything vanilla yourself, you'd probably end up writing this abstraction at one point anyway, just to save yourself time. Um, it'll also handle, for instance, creating the, the, the shadow root that your, your, your shadow DOM markup will go in, so you don't have to write all the boilerplate code to do that yourself. Um, and then one of the nice things that it does is it, it, it has its own um, binding system which can be completely self-contained, right? Like it doesn't have to leak outside of the component or anything that could live just entirely inside of your Polymer component. Uh, what the binding system does is it allows you to pass, for instance, uh, a complex thing like an object or an array declaratively to an element. Um, so you can, the same way that Angular does it, right? So Angular has, um, Angular 2 has property binding syntax. Um, and Polymer effectively is the exact same thing. So you can write some braces, and that will, even though it looks like you're passing something to an attribute, um, just like in Angular 2, it's actually passing it to the property, uh, the corresponding property, and that lets you pass things like objects and arrays and build relationships that way. Because in HTML, you can only pass strings and numbers normally through attributes. Um, so those are the kinds of things that Polymer adds. And I think of it as sort of like a utility belt for web components, um, or you know, the same way that Lodash or something like that just makes it easier to, to do certain tasks. Um, the, the goal of Polymer, though, is to just be really, really, really tiny, to be this little utility belt. Um, so that way, people can build web components using Polymer, uh, but not have to worry about that or think about that. And it's not burdensome for someone to then take that component and drop it into their you know Angular 2 app or React app or anything like that. Yeah, I like things that make my life easier, that's for sure. Yeah, that's our goal. I mean, one of the things that we've done, which has probably been really confusing for folks, is <clears throat> uh, we tended in the past to talk about web components, the the standards, um, the polyfills, and Polymer all at the same time. And so I think what that has done has created like a lot of confusion for folks. And they're like, well, you know, like, what is Polymer? Is it polyfills? And it's like, well, yeah, we have polyfills that we ship. And they're like, oh, okay, is it web components? And it's like, well, kind of. It's like an opinionated way to use web components. Um, and I think it's just created like a ton of confusion. So one of the things that I'm really trying to do right now is, is sort of like split all these things apart. So web components are a set of specs. There are some polyfills that exist for them. And then Polymer is just a little utility belt library that makes you more efficient at writing them. Is there a good place for people to go to find out about 
web components and to find out uh, what Polymer can actually do for you and where you'd want to use it in your app? Yeah, so um, there's a site called webcomponents.org, which is focused primarily on just the, the vanilla specs. And um, one of the nice things that they do there is they also highlight other libraries that use web components. So it's not just Polymer. There's a library out there, which I think is really cool, called Skate.js, uh, which is made by the guys at Atlassian. And um, Skate.js is just another opinionated way to use web components. And they support you know, a style that looks much more like React. They have virtual DOM built into their components. Uh, I think they support JSX at this point, uh, which is really cool. So, so webcomponents.org is a really cool site to check out. And then if you're interested in Polymer itself, you can just go to polymer-project.org, um, and that'll be all the Polymer-specific stuff. And then also, uh, I, I, shameless plug, uh, I do a YouTube series on this. So um, if you go to youtube.com slash Chrome developers, there's a show on there that I do called Polycast every week, which um, or every two weeks, which, uh, which covers Polymer and web components. And uh, folks can go check that out and just sort of like, you know, get an idea for, for the kinds of things that we do with them. That's great, Rob, because I, my next question was like, okay, that's what everybody else is doing, but what is Rob doing? So this is, <laughs> this is what Rob's doing, huh? This, this is your world. What is your world exactly? What is your charter? Why do they yeah. pay you? <laughs> what would you say you do here? Um, so, I, uh, so yeah, I'm a developer advocate for Chrome. Uh, so I work with folks like Adi Osmani and Eric Beidelman. And um, uh, our team is you know, really focused on getting developers excited about new web standards. So I primarily work on, on web components, the standards, uh, just, just advocating for them, you know, blogging about them, speaking about them, writing demos and things like that. Um, and then I work a lot with the Polymer team because the Polymer team is also, Polymer is, is a Chrome project. They're actually members of the Chrome team that built that library. Uh, so I do, again, a lot of work with them, just like building demos, doing tech talks and things like that. We have a, a huge event coming up in uh, October. Uh, I think it's 17th and 18th that we're going to be doing in London, the Polymer Summit which is going to be like two days, like full-blown conference sessions on, um, on, on the next version of Polymer, Polymer 2. Uh, we're also going to spend a lot of time talking about just vanilla web components as well. So we have folks like Paul Lewis coming up to, uh, to just like live code some vanilla web components so people can sort of see the difference between the two worlds and um, you know, decide which they prefer, how they want to use these different things. That sounds great. The, the, the gap for me right here is I wish there was some place, a hint maybe, uh, where we could see how Angular 2 and web components come together. I know that as the guy who's got a lot of insight into the documentation of Angular 2, I know we don't have anything on that. And they just seem like they belong together. And I, I'm wondering if you either know of some place or want to start a place where, um, where one can see where those things come together. Yeah, so um, that is definitely one of the things that I've, I've been working on a little bit this quarter. Uh, it's It's been a little tough because I'm not at all um, uh, well-versed in Angular. So I've been learning Angular 1 and Angular 2. Uh, primarily, I started off learning Angular 1 because most of the developers that I spoke to at the time were like, we really want to know how to make Polymer and Web Components work with Angular 1. Uh, so I've been learning both Angular 1 and Angular 2 while at the same time trying to figure out how the two interoperate. Um, so there's a couple places to go check out. 
one of them was put together by a few of our Google developer experts. Uh, these are folks who are just like standout, awesome developers in the community. Um, so that is at uh, github.com slash web components slash angular dash interop. And we can, I guess, share these in the, the post show notes and things like that. Um, so that's a really cool repo put it together by some folks that uh, tries to demonstrate how to use Angular 1.x and Angular 2.x. Um, I think they're doing it with, with Polymer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if they're doing it with the vanilla components. But I think they're doing it with Polymer. Another area to check out is this repo that I've been working on. Uh, this is just uh, at uh, github.com slash robdodson slash angular dash custom dash elements. Um, so these are some experiments I've been trying to put together. Some These are for Angular 1. These are directives that will make uh, the data binding systems in Angular 1 play nice with things like Polymer and also be able to pass things to vanilla web components. Uh, still super experimental, but if there's anybody who like is really interested in this space, I would love for them to come file issues or send pull requests or just you know help you know collaborate with me on the repo. I, it's just like a fun side project that I've been doing. Um, and there's also a really good blog post which I can share in the notes by uh, by one of our GDEs named uh, Danny Blue, which is uh, specifically on using vanilla custom elements with Angular 2. Um, so it's a, a Medium blog post that he wrote, which is very cool. So he builds a simple component and shows how you can use it in Angular 2. Uh, so we can share that as well. Um, and I think those will be some good starting points for folks. Uh, but this is definitely an area that I want to keep working on in the upcoming quarters, so making sure that um, you know the the documentation, like if if the Angular docs have any interest in talking about this, like you know collaborating with them on that. Also figuring out you know where we can put this in. Web component stocks, or you can put this in Polymer docs, um, so people can better understand how to use all these things together. So, Rob, I can announce right here in front of everybody, and I'm going to say it now. Yes, Angular 2 docs want this, um, want a piece on this, and so we got to work it out. It'll be there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to work on that. All right. Well, this seems like a good place to go to picks. Uh, Ward, what are your picks? I knew you were going to say that. I, I ah, you know, <laughs> always forget we do this segment. So I'm going to tell you about a book I picked up. And I picked it up because the title of the book is Men Explain Things to Me. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, this is so like I got to know, uh, because this is written by a woman who uh, it's a scathing essay about how guys try and tell at least tell her what they know and what they think she knows and all of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm shading my eyes and saying, I'm sure this is going to be all about me and I can't wait to read the essay. So I throw that out there in case any of the rest of you folks out there, men or women, um, are, uh, find the title of that essay provocative as I do. Okay. Um, I've got a quick pick. Uh, I have some friends who are pulling together a remote conference next year. Um, I've been putting on a number of those. Um, last week I did, or not last week, two weeks ago I did Angular Remote Conf. If you missed that, you can still get the videos. Um, you know, just go to uh, devchat.tv slash conferences and just click on Angular Remote Conf. But uh, anyway, they're putting one on, and uh, they're doing it about web components. So it's Web Components Remote Conf. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, it sounds like they've got a bunch of stuff that they're excited about. Um, hopefully they have reached out to Rob and if they haven't, I will tell them that they ought to. Um, I, I will be speaking at that event. Yes. Awesome. 
So yeah, so go check it out if you're interested in this stuff because, I mean, heavens, you don't even have to travel. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it sounds like a, a great option. Uh, Rob, what are your picks? Uh, let's see. So I've been reading the Elon Musk biography by Ashley Vance. Um, I don't know if y'all saw that like today they they did their whole Mars colonization announcement and stuff like that. So that book is crazy awesome. Um, it's just like super inspiring. And then at the same time, kind of demotivating because you're like, wow, this dude is literally superhuman and I will never, ever be that that awesome. Um, but it's just, it's a really, really, really fun read. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I had one other one. I'm totally forgetting it right now. Uh, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go say everyone should go watch Stranger Things if they haven't yet. That seems like a safe bet. If you haven't caught Stranger Things yet, you're still straggling. You got to go watch that. Am I like the only person on this show, including guests, that hasn't picked that show or watched it? I haven't watched it yet either, but it seems to come up every single show, and I'm, I'm running out of excuses to dodge it. I know. Joe picked it, and Jules picked it, and Kara picked it, and Rob's picked it. <laughs> <laughs> they must uh, all be wrong, Chuck. <laughs> uh, oh, well, maybe I'll have to go check it out and make sure before I pick I that might have to. I'm afraid I'm going to binge watch it, and I'm never going to sleep. I know, right? Yeah, tomorrow John will show up here for Ignite, and uh, he'll text me, and all he'll get back is, oh. I stayed up all night watching Stranger Things. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a popular pick. So uh, once again, I mean, you talked about some of the stuff you're doing, but uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter or something, I don't think we got that information out to them. Yeah, uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Rob underscore Dodson, D-O-D-S-O-N. And you can also check out the shows that I do on YouTube. So if you go to um, uh, youtube.com slash Chrome Developers, I've got two shows on there. One is called Polycast. It's all about polymer and web components. Another one that we just launched is called Alleycast or A11YCast. It is all about accessibility, um, something that I think is super interesting topic. It's a very fun, meaty engineering topic. I love working on accessibility because some of the problems are really hard and fun to solve. Um, and also, it's one of those areas that not a lot of developers you know, pay enough attention to. And I think that's mainly because we don't always have a great understanding of the space, and so it's not super fun to work on. But when you when you know you know enough about it, it's very fun to work on. So so definitely go check out Alleycast. Uh, hopefully, learn a thing or two about accessibility. Awesome. We'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thanks for coming, Rob. It was a fun discussion. Yeah, thank thanks, you Rob. I, I learned I learned a ton, Rob. And uh, it's one of those things that I've had parked on my list. Got to learn about it. Got to learn about it. It was really great. Um, for you to come along and, and tell us about it. Thank you. Happy yeah. to do it. All right. We'll catch everyone next week. 